On tonight's agenda, recently elected MLC Paul Crane tells us why we should be concerned about the growing imbalance between the economically active population and those who depend on them, while Health Minister Laurie Hooper, MHK, tells me why he asked Tinwell to give the Health Department an extra £10 million. Paul Crane, MLC. Bet you never thought you'd be calling yourself something like that. No, I didn't. I really didn't, Phil. Yeah, I, I had um, some years ago, I had some hopes that I might make it into the Keys and stood twice um, and that didn't work out. And, and after the second time, um, I, I said on the radio straight after the election, you know, I was asked, would I stand again? I said, no, I don't think so. You know, I pushed at the door twice. It hasn't opened. And I kind of had a an understanding with, with Anne, my wife, that um I, I would stand for the keys twice, and if the door didn't open, well, I wouldn't keep on trying, as as we've seen some people do. You know that that was the end of it. So I really thought that was the end of it, and I hadn't thought of the possible MLC route at all until we got to the election. It became clear that perhaps two of the MLCs would, would be going into the keys, and and there might be um, an unusual opening. You know, a sort of by-election, short-term opening. So. Um, yeah, and then things fell into place, really. And have have you enjoyed it so far? I have. It's been a, a shock. You know, the day I was elected, I can only say that I was stunned. You know, it took me the whole day, really, to get my head around it. And, and then the first session in Timwald... I was pinching myself, you know, you look at the, the, the Timwell Chamber and, and sort of think, I'm, you know, I'm in, in the Parliament. You know, what a responsibility, what a privilege, uh, an extraordinary position. And um, to some extent, I'm still still pinching myself, but I, I've just got this 15-month slot, you know, that, that would have to be, um, have to put my name forward to be re-elected by the Keys. And, um, yeah, I want to make the most of that. So that that's what I've tried to do. But, uh, oh, it's an extraordinary privilege. And... It is fair to say that you are hitting the ground running in as much as you have a emo- or had a motion on the order paper um, last week and um, it's uh, it, it got unanimous support, so you must be pretty pleased with that. Oh, delighted with that, yes, but uh, um, why wouldn't people support it in a sense? If, if you look at the problem, and I had an opportunity to do a presentation to Timwold members sort of outlining... Um, what the census, the latest census has shown, which is is only really what it was showing five years ago, but slightly exacerbated. Um, and when you look at that and you look at the the difficulty we've got, and you can even make comparisons going back to the late 1960s when these issues were, um, were there again, you know, a, a, an imbalance in population. Um, and it's... It, it, it does look like something. Yes, we, we should try to do something about this. Although I think um, some people are still unsure that we can do anything about it. You know, but I, I believe we can, and I think we should we should try. What you've asked for is that um, Tinwald recognises the demographic challenges facing our island, uh, recognises the long term implications of population imbalance, accepts that this is often a complex problem that cuts across many different government departments covering housing, education, healthcare, well-being, employment and economic growth. Well, surely to goodness that those issues are should be the bread and butter of, of all the relevant departments. I think they're often invisible as the difficulty until you see 
a population profile. And for me, you know, I'm very visual in the way I understand things, you know. So until you see that population profile and you see that the Isle of Man doesn't have a population pyramid, as these often get called, but we have a sort of population anvil because of the, the age structure, until you see that... Um, the fall in births in the Isle of Man since 2010, and there was a 35% drop in births over a 10-year period. Until you see that, and you see how that's affecting the, the, the population profile, and then until you recognise that that gap in, in the 0-4-year-olds to four year olds that's there in the current profile, that will still be visible in 70 years' time, because it'll never get such age-specific immigration to fill the gap you know it, it, it'll still be there in the pyramids in 70 years time and that's an extraordinary thought when you look at it and then when you look at the bit in the middle and say well um, in our 20 to 24 year olds especially over the last two censuses um, we've seen for every three people moving in and this this is in that age group. This is not about university movements because when you're at university, you're still resident here. Okay, yeah. but for every three people moving in between eight and ten over over two censuses, ten years have moved out. Three in, eight to ten out. Ten in the first census, eight in the second census. And, and this is specifically at the younger age group. This is twenty to twenty-four year olds. Mm. You know, as as the fifteen to nineteens became the twenty to twenty-four year olds. You can you can do the maths of, of of how it's moved, and we've got this loss. So we've got this very considerable loss of um, twenty twenty four year olds. We don't have data on well, do they return? You know, when when there are evidence that the um, the age and and sex profile of the immigrant group coming to the Isle of Man, um, they are uh, quite a few in their thirties and forties, but the, but not in the twenties really. You know, not in the fifteen to nineteen of the people who leave to go away to, to university, um, 50% of them stay away, 50% of them come back. So so of the eight that, that are out, potentially four of them might come back at some point. Well, they might do and they might not. I think the figures actually, the sort of 50%, this is, this is probably coming from the, the uh, survey that was done by the University College of Man, and, and this was asking about intentions rather than measuring actual movements. So... Um, it, yes, uh, uh, um, around 50%, maybe just slightly under, of the people in the final year at university want to or intend to come back to the Isle of Man. And that was when I worked in the education department, I think about 2004, there was a similar survey done. It produced very similar results that um, uh, those those who are away at university, um, are, are half of them are interested in coming back. The, the greatest portion of the population is is, is aged um, at that 65 down to about 50 uh, level, yep. all of those are going to be approaching retirement in the next 15 years or, yep. or reaching retirement yep. age. Yep. So the costs associated with that are obviously additional uh, pension payments, uh, additional health care requirements potentially, um, additional um, uh, care homes and uh, uh, residential care for uh, support for people as they uh, start to, to become less capable of looking after themselves. Uh, and that's that's why this matters, because you've got this very large group about to about to reach retirement and a, and a much, much smaller uh, group uh, coming along to uh, joining the um, the ranks of the employed to try and uh, fund that through their taxes. Okay, I'd, I'd want to sort of 
balance that view a little bit. You're absolutely right. We have got this this very large group. Um, in terms of the percentage of the population aged over 65 years, we're up in the top six countries on the planet. So it's quite an extreme group that we've got. Um, but I would want to balance the, the idea that um, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with um, being old. You know, I'm in this over 65 group myself, and I'm, I'm hugely aware that um, there was some work done on the Isle of Man back in 2015 by the University of the Third Age, and, and they had a report called um, Not Old But Gold, and they were looking at the value of older people to the community. They were making use of a similar um, document produced by WRVS back in 2010, and they had estimated that the the net value of the over 65 population in the UK, net value, this, so this is the value on top of the healthcare costs and on top of the pension costs and so on, they were contributing um, £40 billion pounds to the UK economy. You know, So you know, older people do contribute. They, it doesn't always show on, on GDPs or things like that because some of the value that they do is, is, is enabling their, their children and grandchildren to continue working when someone's ill or whatever you know so it, it, it has a value but it doesn't get recorded anywhere as a value and, and i suppose this <coughs> comes back to the the, the the question we were discussing earlier uh, which was this this whole point the way in which we do government i mean the, you, you would think that everything you're talking about in this motion are things that should be being considered by government uh, but government is is set up to deal with matters in a particular way and and it's very much focused on budget but this is the problem with government isn't it we we focus on things as as single standalone yeah. issues yeah. and and miss the uh, some of these broader and, and we focus on on perhaps more than we should on on five-year intervals which at least in the legislative council i i am not working on a five-year and and, and uh, seeking re-election at the end of that but there's Part of the debate, if you like, at the moment, the group we've got set up now, this select committee on the population imbalance, we'll need, to, we'll need, I believe, to look at things across government. You know, that's what I've been. It's, well, it's built into the the, um, the motion, really. But um, when you're doing that, you can see how, in relation to the island plan, which, which is a, a flexible plan that's still growing and being added to, but but will tighten up as departments are required to port back, report back to Timwald on, on how the plan's progressing. Where does it fit? And, and um, in the dialogue that I had with the chief minister before the plan was produced, he, he accepted what I was trying to work towards and, and has built it in. It's there right in the middle of the plan, but it's in this section on, on growing the economy and economic diversity and so on. I would have put it in the um, developing stronger communities bit, you know, because that for me, it's more about community. And that's where it's a different view of the imbalance. Okay, we can look at the imbalance and say, well, more older people cost us, fewer younger people, there's fewer people paying tax. That's an economic perspective of this. But the the community perspective of this is that we develop quite an imbalanced community. And, and there are wider concerns there. There was um, some of the consultations that have gone on in relation to climate change, including uh, the latest one, which showed... Um, it had 600-odd respondents, and there was a split. 51% thought that um, uh, we needed to uh, have the higher um, uh, target, the interim target, at 45%. Um, 
that doesn't mean it was 51 to 49 because the other groups were split between but 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 51 percent said we should have the higher target but when you looked at the age profiles of respondents it was 100 percent of 16 year olds it was uh, almost 80% of, of uh, getting up into the early 20s. By the time you got into the 30s, it was 70, and, and it dropped. And and you had this, here was a, a, a political topic, if you like, and you could equally call it environmental or whatever, but a political topic where the, the, the views changed across the ages. And one of the concerns in the Isle of Man would be this, lost voice of the younger age group because they're so far outnumbered by the older age group. So it, it has political dimensions, it has social dimensions. And this this lack of um this lack of births, one of the other features we've got in, in the population, in the um the group that are demographically known as women of childbearing age, which 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 sounds terribly exclusive when you say that's fifteen to forty four, but that's the group that's usually taken demographically. That group in the Isle of Man, over the last ten years, is down more than eleven percent. Mm. So, fewer women means fewer births means fewer women of childbearing age in in twenty years time or something, and that's. That's a real concern when you look at that, you know. If- and, and, and I suppose the other, <clears throat> the other element to all of this is, uh, you know, we've got to recognise that um, politicians, the, the majority of politicians on tin, in Tinwald are elected by the Manx public. Um, and uh, if the Manx public happens to be in that much older uh, age group, um, why would you be spending lots of time focusing on policies to attract and encourage yeah. young people to move to or stay yeah. on the island yeah. when your your core vote yeah. um, is is the older population who may be looking for quite radically different things and yeah. maybe not understand at all why you would want to focus on that's these right, things? That's right, that's right. And that's where um, there needs to be a wake-up call in a sense because um, across the European Union now, I think, more than half the countries in the European Union have what are called pronatalist policies. But I, I recognise that that some people see that as a red flag term. I use it sort of purely demographically. Um, this is not about forcing young people to have families. You know, by any stretch of it. You know, I, one of the um, one of the things I recognise when you're looking at uh, that there's a fall in in births, fall in birth rates. Uh, right around the world, but being particularly heavily felt in, in developed countries at the moment, where um, the, the the fall in births takes you below the um, the line at which you would you would maintain the population, usually taken as as, as one point nine births per female in in, in this uh, age group. And um, when you look at that, there's twenty three countries in the world at the moment that are forecast to have their population halved by the end of this century. Okay, the, the expectation in China is very close to that. That China's 1.4 billion will be down to 700 million at the end of this century. Although China has quickly taken steps to end the one-child policy and uh, encourage three children and so on. Um, and one of the reasons for the changes that are happening, and, and there's, there's three or four scenarios that you can take, but one of them is um, 
the role of women has so changed across these developed countries. The, the, the um, levels of education, the opportunities, the, the, the work opportunities, the, you know, working as chief executives and, and everything else. It, we've got this, this picture that the uh, women are choosing not to have children. In, in the UK, in, in last year, 2021, the average age at which the women were giving birth to their first child topped 30 for the first time and that's that you know really is quite a shift so this is happening uh, um, all over nowhere as strongly as the isle of man at the moment but um, this is happening and, and and that's one of the reasons and so these countries are looking at ways to um, help to make it possible for for those people to to have families then there's another line in there that says, well, okay, it might be about women, but it's also about austerity, that, that people are being forced to choose in, in a world where um, salaries of a couple may, may be seven times less than the price of a property. You know, how, how do they cope with that? So people choosing between owning a house or having a family, and then a couple of other groups in there, there's this decline in global decline in sperm counts, and, and there's some concern about younger people that people are choosing not to have a family because of climate change issues and, and their concerns over that. I, I think quite clear from what you're saying that there is an issue and it needs to be addressed. Um, and um, I haven't uh, really pressed you very much on what the answers might be, uh, but I, I, I would certainly look forward to doing that as we get a bit closer to, well, when you when you report back yeah. to Tynwald. Yeah. Off the top of your head, have you got two or three key areas that you think that uh, we... We really do need to focus on. I'm, I'm really happy that the the committee will decide this. So it's you know I'm one of three on the committee. We haven't met for the first time yet. So uh, happy that that's the position we're in. The areas where I suspect we, we we are likely to be looking at is what we can do to support young families in relation to housing, what we can support young families in relation to childcare, and and some of these are already. Um, issues that are on the go, you know, the new housing board and things like that. So uh, some of these are areas on the go. What we can do um, about uh, support and bringing up a child, you know, beyond childcare. Um, It's interesting to see um, several European countries now um, give you a a lump sum when you when you give birth, you know, so so the likes of France, which has a childcare policies in, in place. But um, they're now giving 950 euros for each birth, you know, as, as a lump sum, you know. And it's interesting to see those sort of um, types of, of, of incentives, you know, whether that's the direction that, that would be appropriate for the Isle of Man is something we'd have to think through. So there's a number of areas that, that you know, education, housing, uh, healthcare, you know, a, a range of things come across. The, the, uh, but availability of, of childcare would be would be one of those. So it, it really is a range of issues. There is not going to be a single fix-it point here that we can say, oh, we change that and all this will change. It's, it's not going to be like that. And although there might be some, some quick wins, um, this is a longer-term thing than that. And the fact that, that the Isle of Man was working on it in 1960s and we've lost sight of it, but it's reappeared, is a reminder that population and community and economy in the Isle of Man are all interlaced and it's a reminder that um, we do have to keep our eye on the population structure because it it is an issue you know it it can easily occur in a small small nation like this it it can easily um, 
throw up some some variations on on what you'd like to think of as being a, a, a more regular, more balanced pattern. That was Paul Crane, MLC. Now, Health Minister Laurie Hooper tells us why his department needs another £10 million. So, Minister, a, a really quite extraordinary position of having to go back to Tinwald to seek £10 million. Imagine what uh, many of the other departments could do with money like that. So, so, so what on earth's happened? I'm not sure you can describe something that has happened every year for the last seven years as an extraordinary position. I think this is, it's become business as usual, unfortunately. And I think I've been quite clear, the health department has been underfunded. And I think seven consecutive years of being roughly 8.7 million over every year shows we're about 8.7 million under budget. That's, I don't think you can, you can argue against that. And I think that's one of the driving reasons behind the recommendations in Sir Jonathan Michael's report around needing a new funding formula, which is what we've agreed to this year, a new mechanism, a new increases, and the the 21 million that's essentially going into the health service in, in this year's budget but last year we didn't have that so how, how much of, of this um overspend underfund is actually down to covid this year it's that's a tricky one to answer so the the nine to ten million that we've gone to ask for is, is to cover a nine million pound forecast overspend none of that is directly related to covid because all of those covid costs which are about 23 million pounds have been taken out of the contingency funding but COVID has had a big impact on things like the availability of UK uh, uh, agency staff, the availability of UK surgeries and the cost of drugs. So indirectly, COVID has caused pressures on the health service that amount to a big chunk of this amount, actually. So about half the overspend is to do with the pay awards. Uh, the rest of it is to do with these kind of unexpected or, or unprecedented pressures we're facing on, on things like drugs costs and the tertiary costs in the UK. But surely there will be savings uh, resulting from COVID as well, in as much as there won't have been as many uh, general operations and, and, and the, the, the operation, at, at least, of, of the hospital has has had to be inhibited to a certain extent because of COVID. In part, uh, but they are uh, quite significantly outweighed by the costs, unfortunately. Um, and whilst some things have been stopped, they've more been delayed. So all it's really doing is pushing costs into different parts of the year. Um, so, yes, you're right. In some respects, there have been things that haven't happened, but we're still paying paying staff we're still paying the bills actually everything is still going on pretty much from that side of things at least as, as normal um, and any savings that have resulted from covid clearly have been just wiped out really by all the other impacts there have also been savings that Manx care have made in all these areas with some of the, the work they've done so the medicines optimization team for example have saved something in the region of four hundred thousand pounds on the drugs bill but when you're looking at a, a nearly a five million pound overspend it, it barely touches the sides really I know uh, Chris Thomas had, had, had specifically mentioned the administrative costs and uh, was it something like two and a half or, or three? Three and a half million, three, I think, was the original estimated cost. Uh, so three and a half million um, additional yeah. administrative costs. I, I mean, I think m most people, most taxpayers would... would accept that it's important to pay for doctors and nurses but why, why is it important to be spending three and a half million extra for bureaucrats so in short uh, you're not paying for bureaucrats you're paying for people to professionally manage your health service and that's what we've been lacking in recent years is that professional direction and you've had lots of political decisions being made that really should not have been political decisions they should have been clinical decisions made for clinical reasons and unfortunately you do have to employ the right people to do that and that does have a cost one of the key aims of Manx Care though is to to find savings and this this year so far they've managed to find 1.7 million in savings so that's half the cost of the, the additional uh, layer of bureaucracy essentially met the future targets are higher they are aiming to like I say cover their own costs but ultimately the the proof is going to be in the pudding can they bring down waiting lists can they bring down waiting times can we improve the quality of the health service we have on the Isle of Man and I think if we see much better outcomes at the end of this I would argue it's worth every penny that we spend on it 
and, and, and Manx Care is now effectively non not politically accountable. Uh, effectively, it sits outside of the political process. Uh, it, it's there to deliver. Uh, you set the policy and you take the take the rap. And Manx Care um, are, are, are effectively left to, to, to get on with it and, and no one can touch them. Not quite. So they are a statutory board. Uh, so they are accountable in their own right, just in the same way any other statutory board is accountable in terms of their finances. They are accountable to me as minister and to us as a department to make sure they are delivering on track in line with the strategy and policy and the direction that we set. And obviously they're accountable in terms of their spending. Uh, my understanding is they can be called in front of select committees, for example, as well. So I would not be surprised to see the Public Accounts Committee or the Social Affairs Committee calling Max Carey in and actually grilling them directly on their operational delivery. Because, uh, like you say, I'm going to take the rap for a lot of the big strategic policy decisions and I'm happy to do that that's my job but actually if Max Care are making bad operational decisions I've got to hold them accountable and actually I would expect the political scrutiny process to do the same thing you've always been a minister or a, a politician that I've uh, I found to be very honest and, and, and trustworthy uh, you, you you tend to, to say what you mean um, you've said that this is the last time the department's coming for a, a, a Back to Timwald to to cover overspends unless there are extraordinary circumstances. I I is that uh, putting the gun to your own head? Possibly, but th- that's my ambition actually, and and the whole purpose of agreeing the new funding formula is to try and stop this continuous issue of overspend. The whole purpose of setting up Max Care in the first place is to try and stop these supplementary votes being necessary. So if we've done all of this and we're still coming back trying to deal with legacy issues and systemic uh, spending problems, then we're not doing something. Something isn't working. I, I can't say hand on heart it's definitely not going to happen because things do happen health is very much a demand-led service and i think the public would expect if we do have increased costs say sending people to the uk that we don't make the choice not to treat patients so i think there's definitely uh, some some leeway in this but no the absolute starting line for this financial year is uh, we know max care are going to be under pressure they're forecasting 18 million pounds of cost pressures already and the, the growth budget was 17.9 million so we we know that we're going to be under pressure uh, but the absolute bottom line is this is your budget this is your financial envelope work within it and, and only come back to treasury and ask for extra funding if you can really justify it and something really exceptional or extraordinary has happened Almost six months into the job, you've just been handed at ten million pounds. Nine million of which is is accounted for. A million is just well, we'll give him an extra million just in case he needs it. Um, they, they obviously must think you're you're doing a reasonable job. It was nice to get unanimous support in Timwald. Uh, just to clarify that we won't be drawing down on the money if we don't need it. So we've asked for up to 10. Uh, if we only need nine, we'll only be taking nine. Um, but that's, again, money the department will hold and we'll be distributing it to Manx Care if they can justify and when they can justify they need that funding. Uh, but no, it was nice to have that unanimous support in Timwald. And there was a bit of challenge from, from a few members, from Chris Thomas and, and one or two others. But broadly, I think people understand the pressures the health service is under. And it was nice, actually, to get their support, especially seeing as a good chunk of the additional funding is actually for for the pay award that's being negotiated at the moment and so i think it was uh, quite reassuring to hit, feel that timwald is, is supportive of actually that pay award at least and offering staff something that, that is meaningful it is reasonable to assume that much of the work suggested by mr crane should be being done by government anyway so was the committee set up to keep him and fellow committee members chris thomas and michelle haywood busy And will Laurie Hooper finally put an end to the health department's overspends? It's been promised before, but sadly not achieved. This programme is available as a podcast, which you can access from Manx Radio's website, 
please get in touch with Phil Gorn at manxradio.com if you have any views or thoughts on the programme. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn. Good Thanks for listening. <laughs>